0: do that to Roger with before it is here. Um, so, yeah, uh, today, where have all the good men gone? We've got a good... Right? Oh, we have, I have three women in front of me who are going like, I don't know. It's generally right. Uh, where have all the good people gone? Uh, today, we're moving now into Matthew's uh, presentation of the virgin birth. And... Um, this is a fulfillment of prophecy that Matthew uh, brings out that um, we're all so used to it that when you actually go back to and, and look at that prophecy as it's given, you, you wonder if people in Israel actually did accept it and were actually waiting for a virgin birth. They're definitely waiting for a Messiah, their Messiah, but are they waiting for a virgin birth? That's not as clear as, you know, we're also very used to it in, in Western society that uh, we celebrate it, celebrate it every year even by unbelievers, you know, so it's well known. But to them, maybe, maybe not. But before we get into that prophecy, we'll be looking at Joseph. And Joseph here is presented by Matthew. Uh, he's the only gospel in which to present Matt uh, Joseph in the light that was his trouble, um, and a great and a vast amount of it. Uh, your fiance is pregnant, and you're not the father, um, and that becomes a, a bit of an issue. Yeah, and uh, and so we're going to see how um, Joseph deals with that, and it's going to be a great application to us all, because he's a righteous man, and uh, we'll see that. It's not hard for any of us to be righteous, uh, on paper at least. (laughs) All right, so uh, we're going to start in Matthew 1.18. Well, let's open up in prayer and um, as we do to, as usual, just a reminder for me to be uh, ready to hear and to listen and to be humble and receptive to all that God will reveal to you. So with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have provided for us through these writers an inspirational word. I mean inspirational in several means, but the one I mean is uh, that through the Holy Spirit, that this word is inspired by you and we have complete confidence in its uh, truth and its originality and, and its impact upon each of us. Uh, as we look into it, Father, and learn it, we know that every line, every word it comes from you and therefore it will impact us. We know, Father, that uh, these things that we see about our Lord and how important they will be to us, uh, and though we've already believed in him and, and we are your children, this, this message, this truth concerning his birth and all the events around it are Tremendously um, uh, uh, altering to us, and we're grateful for them. So we ask Father that we uh, have our hearts enlightened by Your Word, and we ask this in Christ's name, Amen. So <clears throat> the all that's around this history that Matthew is presenting to us, which is actually centered on uh, to look for a certain kind of organization around it, is. This formula that Matthew uses, uh, and you see it here, actually, you can read it with me. Um, so, verse 22, 122 says, now all this took place to fulfill, that's the Greek word pleroo, to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And that is a, that formula is repeated by Matthew 10 times. And, Significantly, five of them are here in chapters 1 and 2. So right at the start, we have this preparation of the Messiah, this identification of the Messiah as Jesus of Nazareth is centered around uh, five prophecies that are fulfilled. And they're fulfilled, uh, we have saw this before, that it's not just uh, this was said in the past and then it came to be, but this is actually in the many of these cases are like a historical thing that uh, Jesus is actually the fulfillment of. And so this word fulfillment in terms of Old Testament to new, this is used by Matthew in a very unique way. And it's it, his gospel is, um, you know, this is why we know he's writing to Jews and he's, uh, he's proclaiming that Jesus is the fulfillment of all things in the Old Testament. And yes, the prophecies concerning him, like a virgin will be with child and then it happens, uh, but also things like uh, historical aspects of Israel that anyone, until they read Matthew, wouldn't have made the connection. You know, would we all have made the connection that Jesus... Well, Mary and Joseph with little baby Jesus would flee to Egypt. And would we connect that with God calling his people out of Egypt back in Exodus? You know, at the Passover, at the first Passover. You know, if we did, it would be somewhat of a stretch. We say, well, that's a historical thing, and maybe Egypt is just a coincidence. You know, Jesus and his family are fleeing to Egypt to get away from Herod. You know, but Matthew sees in this, by the Holy Spirit, sees in this a historical aspects of what Israel went through in the Old Testament, now becoming fulfilled in the very person of Christ. And in fact, Matthew is the one that says Christ fulfilled the whole law. And so in Christ is the fulfillment of all things in history, and not just the things that come before him, but everything. Everything in human history is fulfilled in this one man. And it's amazing. And and so when we say, you know, we see, what are we supposed to be? Like Christ. Who are we supposed to follow? Christ. Uh, Who is our righteousness? Christ. Who is our husband? Who's our Lord? Who's our head? It's all Christ. And why is that? Uh, Yes, he's the God-man. And yes, he's the Savior. But yes, also, he's the fulfillment of everything that has to do with the human race, everything. And so when I'm a husband, I'm one like Christ. When I'm righteous, well, how do I define righteousness? I define it as Christ. I can't say I'm going to act in a certain way and call it righteous when it's not, in fact, acting like Christ. And so he is the fulfillment of all things. And that's a wonderful thing to know. So for us today, uh, before we look at the prophecy that's here, which is in verse 23, which is a prophecy uh, from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, Matthew is going to mention several prophecies from Isaiah that are going to be fulfilled in Christ. There's an application of this, I'll jump right to it first, Uh, and we're not going to deal with the prophecy of the day, we're going to deal with Joseph today. Righteous men do what is right before God, no matter how they feel about it or anybody else feels about it. Marriages all over the world, now this is in the context of a marriage. Marriages all over in the world are in sore need of righteous husbands. All the ladies can nod your heads. Joseph is the representation of the righteous man who does what? Well, he's in a conundrum that no man is going to ever face. Thankfully, <laughs> ever again. Not that your girlfriend becomes pregnant, and she's more than a girlfriend. She's is in in, uh, in this culture uh, in the first century. This betrothing that Joseph is to Mary is a legal binding. Uh, engagement in our world, an engagement is not legally binding. But in their culture, it is absolutely legally imbi- legally binding. If Joseph were to send Mary away, he would have to legitimately legally divorce her, even though they're not officially married yet. Uh, so, and no one's going to face what Joseph faced. But yet, in a way, and. In, in, you know, maybe not to the magnitude, or certainly not to the magnitude, but we're going to face things that are of um, a confusing nature uh, in which we're not really sure if this is right or not. And do we, if something is, you know, we're not really sure if it's right or wrong or the result of it, whatever it is, is going to be right or wrong, does that uh, esculp us, or if that's the word, is that a word? Uh, does that, uh, you know, free us from our obligation in that situation? If a situation, in a longer way, let me make that simpler. In a situation that is confusing, are we free from acting in terms of God, God saying, well, you're off the hook here, I, you don't get what's going on. Are you free from, you know, what do I do? And say, well, I'm not going to do anything because I don't understand what's going on. And God's going to say, that's not an option for you. The option is that you have to do what is righteous at all times. Uh, The righteous man does God's will alone. Alone. He does not care what others think about it. He or she does not care what others think about it, does not care about the pain that doing that thing is going to bring upon themselves, either from others. Uh, and it's generally from others, but also pain comes from ourselves because our flesh doesn't want to do this, and our flesh is going to fight it. And so Paul would famously say, I buffet my body and make it my slave because my flesh is not going to dictate to me righteousness. Certainly not. It doesn't want to do any of that. And so this is the righteous man. Obviously we're talking about application of righteousness, not uh, a position of righteousness that all believers have. So, I want to show our application of the timeless righteousness of the man Joseph, Uh, but it is also imperative that we see the particular reason why Joseph, or sorry, not Joseph, Matthew records this passage, and that's first and foremost. So, let's read the passage first. So, we've already seen the genealogy of Christ in three groups of 14 that uh, Matthew breaks up. Uh, organizes, in fact, to make a theological statement about the birth of Christ, uh, which qualifies him as Messiah and King. And then in verse 18, Now the birth of Christ, Jesus, or Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, and that, that's an engagement in, in our language, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, came together is a nice way of saying... They didn't have sex, and she came. She was found. Like, uh, it's interestingly, the Greek word is eureka. Something I can't. The the root is where we get our word eureka from. Uh, It's like uh, Mary, what putting on weight? Eureka, right? You're you're with child by the Holy Spirit. Now Matthew, right from the start, is telling his readers. I'm not going to keep you in suspense. He could, I mean, as a literary device, you could say that Mary, you know, imply that she had committed adultery. This would be adultery because in their betrothal in Israel, this is a legal thing. And so if she is unfaithful to Joseph, even though they're engaged, she has committed adultery. But Matthew's not going to keep us in suspense, nor his readers in suspense, uh, and child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, and this word disgraced means make a public spectacle of, Plan to send her away secretly. Now, that word send her away, well, it, it's a broad term, this Greek verb, apoluo, it means, it could mean send away. It can also mean divorce, and in the context here, that's what it would be. It would fit the context best. So he's going to divorce her, but not publicly, secretly. But when he had considered this, I mean, he thought on it for a while. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. This is Isaiah 7:14. Uh, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, not Jesus. But Emmanuel, and now uh, uh, Matthew translates this for us, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Uh, Tomorrow we'll start to look more at the prophecy of Matthew 7. Um, And but first, what Matthew does here. First, no, first, we should see why is this paragraph in Matthew? Well, it's and we want to ask this about everything that we see here in Matthew because um, we don't. We want to make sure that we don't get lost in this big gospel. You know, what you want to ask yourself is if this were taken out, what would that do to the gospel? Uh, and that's what we're going to ask ourselves. We want to make sure that we're uh, in the context of the, of the gospel, because Matthew's gospel is different from the others, and there's a reason for that. So why is this paragraph here? Well, he's revealing the uh, qualification of Jesus as, Christ the king, as the Christ and king, the Christ, meaning anointed one or Messiah. He's revealing the qualification of Jesus as the Messiah and as king. He is not born in Adam. So, out of this long line of sinners that has started with Abraham, uh, Jesus is born of the Holy Spirit. So, he is not born of Adam, or in Adam, which means born in sin. He's born of the Holy Spirit, and he is God with us, and that's a a word that we want to look at. You know, what does that mean, to have God with us, and uh, we certainly all through this age and for continuing ages to come, God is going to be with his people. Um, but he says this of, of himself in, in the Old Testament as well. But we have to, we'll have look at that more closely. Now, <clears throat> Matthew states that Mary, while betrothed to Joseph, before they had been married, had become pregnant. And Matthew chose not to keep his readers in suspense and says, this is by the Holy Spirit. Um The evangelist, therefore, desires his readers to grasp this supernatural character of Jesus Christ right at the outset. That not only is this one a descendant of Abraham and a descendant of David, but this one was born of the Holy Spirit. He's supernaturally born. This to no one has ever happened before. And so his birth, as he says, his birth was as follows by the Holy Spirit. Now, the word used by Matthew is not the Greek word for marriage. There's a different word for that. This word means betrothed or promised in marriage. In Israel, such a betrothal was legal. It was totally legally binding. Uh, It frequently occurred for girls at 12 years old, but they would not be married at that young. The groom would make a deal with the parents uh, or a contract, a marriage contract that had obligations like to build a home and stuff like that, and then once the obligations were met by the groom, he would uh, marry the girl, and according to the marriage contract, and then and and through the whole engagement process or that length of time. So, you know, we can we can imagine that Joseph is engaged to Mary could have been for years. You know, this this. Um, he could have made a contract with Mary's father when she was 12, and now she's could be you know anywhere. She's a young teenager, older teenager. Uh, that we don't know her age, but <clears throat> because he is uh, betrothed to her, he has authority over her, even though he's not. They're not legally married. So as an enga- <clears throat> excuse me, as a legal contract, this engagement. Um they, they couldn't break it off unless they went through an actual legal procedure of divorce, and as engaged, just like it should be now, there were no conjugal rights. They were not to be with one another until the actual marriage. Now, if this were not true in Israel, we might all suspect, as well as Matthew's first readers, like, "Come on, Holy Spirit, this is Joseph's kid." Right They're engaged. And you're pregnant, and you're saying Joseph isn't the guy. Well, what if this happened in our day and age? These two are engaged, and she becomes pregnant. All right, who's the father? Uh, you know, if it's not him, you're a floozy, yeah. But, you know, it's still... In, if this were not true in Israel, that it would have been scandalous. I mean, incredibly scandalous for Mary, for Mary even though engaged... To have a child, to to have sex with another man. In Jewish society, unless Mary is an amoral girl, there is no way that this is Joseph's child. And that's what Matthew, you see, now when Matthew brings out this, he could have just skirted the whole thing. He could have left it out. Just said Mary was born through the Holy Spirit, was born Jesus. And forget the whole Joseph thing. He doesn't have to include it, but he does. He wants to make sure that for any, because his gospel is written to Jews, any Jew reading this would say, well, if Joseph is a righteous man, would first, would a righteous man choose an amoral girl, you know, and, uh, to engage to himself? A girl of loose smart He's not going to because in Israel things aren't done that way. They are in our society, but not in theirs. So, the child can't be Joseph's unless it truly is a scandal. And it would be an enormous one. And here's one of the other reasons that it would be an enormous scandal. Not only is Mary worthy of divorce, she's worthy of death. In Leviticus 23, and not just here. Uh, but in uh, other places in the law as well, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. If she's worthy of death, if Joseph doesn't believe this whole Holy Spirit business, he has a legal right under the Mosaic law to report her to the local priests, which in every town there were in Israel, and she would have been put to death. And rightly so under the law of Moses. But what does Joseph do here? He wants to, he's, before he gets the dream and the angel comes to him and said, Joseph, it's okay, you know, and none of us know if Mary, you know, if you're Mary in this situation, are you going to sit Joseph down and say, All right, I had this talk with an angel and he told me what this is all about? Um,. All right, you know, not a lot of people are getting visited by angels, and not a lot of people have become pregnant by God the Holy Spirit. In fact, nobody has. I mean, if you're Mary, you, I mean, you're not dumb. This is going to be hard to believe. So we don't know if she tried to tell him or not. But what we do know here that Matthew presents to us is that Joseph, before he has the dream in which the angel convinces him that this has all happened by the Holy Spirit, he decides on his own as a righteous man to send her away secretly. And that's an amazing thing. We can imagine how disappointed Joseph was, how probably angry, saddened, broken hearted Um, and before he's visited by the angel in his dream, he's got to be crushed. He could have easily made an open show of her. That's that's what that word means. He didn't want to disgrace her. It means that word uh, is a Greek, word, Greek verb that means to make a public show of. And he could have easily done that. He could have gone to the local synagogue and say, just reported it.
1: And then he saves his own
0: reputation, you see, when he does that. Because if he sends her away secretly, obviously she's going to get bigger and bigger. And everybody knows that they've been engaged for years. And, uh, you know, it's still his reputation is going to be tarnished for the rest of his life. In that society, it's it's never going to go away. After he marries her, when he becomes convinced that she's impregnated by the Holy Spirit... The, the reputation on them and their family is never going to go away. Where, are they going to go to all their neighbors and say, look, we were both visited by the same angel, Gabriel. He's awesome, by the way. Uh, we saw him. And, uh, and, and he told us the whole thing. This, is, this Jesus is born by the Holy Spirit. He's, he's not my kid. Right, this is a miracle. You guys should all rejoice. They, they're all going to believe him? Nobody is. Hardly. So what we find here um, is, you know, first off, let's think about, I think we can ascertain through Joseph that he knows that something's wrong. In other words, Mary becomes pregnant, okay, whether she tried to tell him or not, it was from the Holy Spirit, regardless, she would sound crazy, Um But he's known her. And he knows her to be what? Even the Bible says that she was a blessed woman. So we assume a righteous woman. She's a righteous girl. So something's not quite right. Correct. If she had the reputation or the moral character that would uh, indicate this, then all right, maybe, but since she is a righteous girl, he must have thought that something was not quite right. Now, the leap from that, to impregnated by the Holy Spirit, is, is like light years. He's not going to come up with that. But, in a way, what Joseph is like is what Job's friends should have been. And there's a connection here between Mary and Job. And it may seem like an odd one at first, but it's actually not. To Job, well, first off, Job and Mary are righteous people. They have a reputation of it. Job has a terrific reputation as a righteous man, and his friends know that. Mary has a reputation as a righteous woman, and Joseph knows that. To both, something amazing has happened, and quite unique, that is actually troubling. I'm pregnant. So if Mary lived in an, on an island, you know, all by herself, <laughs> and no one's there to judge her or to put her down, okay, fine, you know, I'm pregnant by God. We can all, well, I can rejoice, you know. But when she's living in that society, as she gets more and more visibly pregnant, and everybody knows that this is not, they were not married. And they know Joseph as a righteous man. These two did not fool around. It's crushing to her. In society, every time she goes out, every look that comes her way is a sneer. You know what they're thinking. It's complete prejudice against her. And so, to both... And Job has his life destroyed. Amazing. To whom has this happened, that the most righteous man on the earth has everything destroyed, including his own body? And in sequence, I mean, all that happened to Job. He loses all his material, all his children, and then his body. He gets incredibly sick. And the friends of Job, well... They weren't necessarily wrong about him. No, Not about him. I, just, I got that all wrong. The friends of Job were not necessarily wrong when they said, now the friends of Job had this memorized, rote idea, and that's the depth of their knowledge, that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. And that's what they know. Now, is that necessarily wrong? No. We see it all the time. But didn't they know Job? Didn't they know Job to be a righteous man? Didn't they know Job to be gracious and righteous and upright? Of course they did. And yeah, all right, everybody's a sinner. And so is Job. So, you know, yeah, maybe Job had done something wrong and got a little discipline for it. But this level of pain in his life and loss in his life? And so the friends of Job should be saying, there's something wrong here. Rather than, this is them. The friends of Job knew in rote memorization only that bad things happen to bad people. But that's not always true, is it? Not always. It may be, it may not be. Hence, God tells us, one thing the righteous man doesn't do is judge others. Because I don't know what's going on. All the signs may be pointing to you're a bad person who's getting bad stuff happening to you, but that's not my business. You know, if you need I'll pray for you, you need my help, I will teach you the truth, but I'm not going to make value judgments on you because that's for my Lord to do, not me. Now why not? You remember earlier in this lesson about You know, not this lesson, but prior lessons that, you know, we got from our genealogy that none of us are anything. I don't even own judgment. That's it. You know, I don't own it. I I don't own justice. It's not mine to dole out. I don't hold those scales. It's not mine. Christ said, love your enemies. Don't judge. You don't have the right to judge anybody. He says in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the first discourse after all of this is presented by Matthew about the preparation of the Messiah, that don't take the speck out of your brother's eye when you got that big old fat log in your own. And all of us have the log in our own. We don't have the right to judge. And Job's friends should have known. But look, there's El- Eliphaz. In his first speech to Job... He says in Job 4, 7, remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or who were, or where, sorry, where were the upright destroyed? And not just Eliphaz, but the other ones continue to say the same thing over and over again. And Job says, I'm, I'm innocent. I am innocent. But Job gets it wrong, too. Not in response to them, Job is right. But in response to God, Job is wrong. That's so we say, you know, Job, right? Every, every, uh, how many Christians say, yeah, I love the book of Job. It makes perfect sense to me. But you, yeah, see, what God, <laughs> what God has done here is say, look, if you're going to be a superficial reader or understander of my word, then you have no hope of being a righteous person in life. You just don't. Because you just don't know enough. I will I will give to people that superficial knowledge, but you know, he's not forcing us to study these things out. But if you want to know how to be righteous, you've got to know the depth of my revealed word. And that means, see, Job is not for elite believers. Job is for everybody. And it's confusing, sure. But that should tell us something. First off, God doesn't isn't in the business of confusing us. And so secondly, if it's confusing at first, shouldn't we be diving deeper? You know, the things that are superficially easy to understand, we should all be grateful for those. So I didn't have to try too hard to figure that out. Do unto others, you'd have them do unto you. Yeah, got it. <laughs> the whole world understands that. And rightly so. It should be understood. God wants it understood. But if we're going to discern things like Joseph does, we're going to need a depth of understanding. Job's friends don't have that depth of understanding. That's all, this is all they know. They knew what kind of man Job was. Just like Joseph knows what kind of woman Mary was. And Joseph must have said to himself, there's something wrong here. I don't understand it. And I have every legal right, and it would protect my reputation to send Mary to the priest, or to go to the priest myself and say, look, my betrothed one is pregnant. That ain't mine. And then she would have been stoned to death or killed, and, killed stoned to death under the Mosaic Law. But he couldn't do it. So he decided, I have to divorce her, but I'm going to do it secretly to protect this girl he probably loves, and hence he's righteous. Now you get to Job, and I'm sure, like Mary, did Mary figure this all out? Was she like, "Oh la di da, pregnant by the Holy Spirit"? This is all great, and she, you know, their life is just bizarre. You know, go to Bethlehem to give, you know, give their names in the census, and then the angel comes again and says, flee to, flee to Egypt, we realize that they have to leave their whole lives behind? That Joseph, who has a business, he's a carpenter by trade, so he would have had a business, he has to leave it all behind and go to a place that he doesn't know. How easy is that? It's not. And all because of this kid that isn't even his. Which brings up another point. We'll get to that at the end. However, so Mary... Doesn't get it all figured out. And neither does Job. Job doesn't get it all figured out. He doesn't know why this is happening to him. So what Job has this conclusion, Job's doctrinal conclusion is, I should have never been born. That's his conclusion. That if bad things are going to happen to good people, then God shouldn't let those people see the light of day out of the womb. What he says, chapter 3, is amazing. In Job 3, he writes poetry about this darkness that his life is. And so Job's conclusion is that I shouldn't be born. should never have been. And no one who gets treated like me should ever be born. And that's the wrong conclusion too. Because if that were true, well then, none of this interesting stuff, that is difficult to deal with should ever happen to any of us. I mean, we should either, the confusing bad stuff should happen to the wicked people, and if we're good, everything should work out pretty well. And God says, no, that's not how it works in my world. And notice, and then so at the end of the book of Job, God comes in, you know this, right? And God himself starts to speak in his own poetry. And here's one of the two things that he says. He He speaks about uh, the earth, and he speaks about the universe, and how he's the creator of all that, and then he gets to zoology, and he starts to speak of all of these animals of which he is the creator and the caretaker for. And notice what he says, this is uh, at the beginning of this section of the animal kingdom, is that he says in Job thirty-eight forty-one. he says, Who prepares for the raven its nourishment when its young cry to God and wander about without food? A raven. Now, a raven's a bird of prey. All right. Well, what does happen? And then you read on, and there's more stuff there. There's a wonderful little paragraph about how the ostrich buries the eggs in the sand and then she doesn't really care what happens to the eggs. She's a terrible mother. Like all other animals come by and trample the eggs and they're all dead and she doesn't she doesn't care a lick. So why does God say that? It's because things are not as A equals B and B equals C, so A equals C like you think they should be. We've got some birds who are really great at taking care of their young, and there are others who are predators, and there are others who are vegetarians, and there are others who are, you know, vicious and nasty. And then so, anyway, he's sticking with birds. Here, the cry, the, the little baby ravens cry out for food. And then the eagle, another bird of prey, at the end of this section, God says his young ones also suck up blood. And where the slain are, there is he. Why? Ah, what does this mean? They're birds of prey. And so to get fed, somebody has to die. Well, wait, well, that ain't fair. Right? If you're watching the nature show, and it's a nature show about, say, little bunnies, and you're like, oh, look at these cute little bunnies. And then, oh, no, you got it wrong. It's a nature show about eagles. And then the eagle comes in and snatches one of those little bunnies and tears it limb from limb and eats it, feeds it to its little chicks. And they're like, oh, I was rooting for the bunny. But somebody else watching that was rooting for the eagle. God is saying here, He's not, He is saying to Job that, look, Job, you don't control the world like I do, nor can you know the things that I know. But when it comes to your world, the human world, and the animal world, there are all kinds of stuff that you don't understand. Some die, some live. Some die so that others will live. And some suffer. And for what reason? Well, you don't know it. And some get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Why her? Why not somebody else? And some are betrothed. Wait, you know, couldn't have God worked this out so that she wasn't betrothed? Well, you know, it, it. and one of the things, that it speaks to me that God didn't want Jesus growing up with a single mother. He wanted Jesus to have both parents. I think. But that's my conjecture. So this shows us that Job's friends who memorized, Job's friends who memorized doctrine of bad things, uh, that always bad things always happen to bad people, is not true. It also shows that Job's doctrine, that which he developed after his incredible pain, that people who suffer like him should never be allowed to be born, that's also not true. What is true is that bad things happen and good things happen and sometimes the bad things turn out to be, in the development of good things. And good things happen to be sometimes in the development of bad things. And sometimes the bad things are bad things. And sometimes the good things are good things. And we can never really discern, probably not until it all is worked out. So do we turn off our thinking and our reason? We do not. There is something off, certainly, about the idea of Mary committing adultery, and Joseph knows that. He reasons to himself, there's something wrong here. So, he divorces her secretly, at least until he gets a visit from the angel. Then, after Joseph discovers the reason for Mary's pregnancy, he makes the righteous decision that he's going to do what the angel tells him to do. So after he awakens from his sleep in which he has the dream, let's look at it again. Verse 24, and Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Marrying this girl, everybody knows she was pregnant before you guys get married and in that society it's always going to be a blight on their family. And Joseph is unconcerned. Why? Because he's a righteous man. He's going to do that which God told him to do. And that's what righteousness turns out to be. In action. Is that it's the courage to do the will of God no matter what the consequences are. Joseph has this. And so should we. And we have to ask ourselves if we have it. And if you're... uh, you know if you if you don't know uh, well just wait cuz god's going to bring you a situation in which you're going to find out do you have the courage to do what god has called you to do and in fact when if you become and you should and you need to become the type of person who wants to be righteous in everything that they do every day then you're going to find out that you're challenged every day not to be and in in many situations you're going to be challenged not to do the things that you're called to do not to refrain from the things that you're called not to do. And that you're going to be challenged by your flesh and by the world and by your society and by people in your life. You're going to be challenged to not live righteously in every thought, every word, and everything that we do. Because we're called to that. We're far, we have far more going for us in that realm than Joseph had. Because though Joseph is righteous... He's not in Christ. At least he wasn't yet. And by all accounts, he didn't survive. That He died uh, a young man. So, um, you know, this, this ability to be righteous on a daily basis in our thinking uh, that nobody knows but you and God in every thought, in everything you do. And by the way, it would mean joy and peace and contentment all the time as well. And to this we are called, every one of us. And it takes courage to say, I'm going to do God's will even though my flesh says no. And my flesh is going to make me uncomfortable. I'm going to say no to it. And I am going to be righteous. And why would I do that? It's a very good question. Joseph is righteous and I'm sure Mary is thankful for that. Um, Joseph doesn't know how difficult it's going to be for them. And it only gets more difficult after they go to Bethlehem. Then they have to be whisked off. He has to leave his whole life behind to go to Egypt. And again, all for this boy. That's not even his. I find it a wonderful principle that Joseph is righteous and that righteousness does not come to us by blood. Because Jesus... Is righteous. I say, well, Jesus is righteous because that's my boy. Uh, sorry, Joseph, as you know, and we all know, he's not your boy. He's not related to you at all. He's a child of the Holy Spirit. But in 1 John 2 1, where we see if anybody sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He, has, he is righteous by title, he's purely righteous. Now, skip forward to Matthew 3. And this is John the Baptist after Matthew will finish up for us. We'll probably be here sometime next week. That John the Baptist has a ministry now that Matthew's going to present after he has presented Jesus' qualifications as Messiah and King. And in Matthew 3 7, uh, you, know, you see how uh, tactful John the Baptist is here. Verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? (laughs) Not like, oh, wonderful, the religious are here and they want to get baptized. Please come on down. No, you bunch of snakes. Who warned you to flee? He says, therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And, of course, repentance means to change your mind or turn your attitude. And here it would refer to the fact that um, you think that you're, you're justified before God because you're born of Abraham. In other words, we're Jews by birth. And that's what he says next. He says, therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father, for I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. And then he says something prophetically, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, meaning that the nation of Israel is going to come. They're not really a nation here, but they are a people under the Roman Empire And even that is going to be destroyed by the Romans. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So how do they bear fruit? In keeping with repentance. So what makes Joseph righteous is not his blood relation. Joseph is a descendant of Abraham and David. But that doesn't matter. And he's not the real father of Jesus. And in fact, that doesn't matter either. None of us are the blood relatives of Jesus Christ. None of us. But, what do we have? We can do the same thing that Joseph does. And this is why actually to be a righteous man or woman is actually of the most easiest kind. It's not that you have to change your DNA, which would be impossible. or to cha- All you have to do is be obedient repent of what we used to be, which we did when we believed in Christ as our Savior. But repentance goes on as we continue to learn what is true and what is not. And we change our minds, which is what repentance is, about whats what has been false in our minds. We change our allegiance. That's a repentance. We change what we love, what we honor. We change what we really want. We change what we like. And as we do that, those are all Times of repentance. And that's what makes Joseph righteous, is his faith and his willingness to keep God's commands. Uh, we don't know what kind of a father Joseph turned out to be, but I'm sure he was an excellent one. Would he have loved this child placed in his own care? You know, does he what do you have realized? Which, of course he did. He's visited by the angel, right? And the angel says, through this one Jesus, he's going to deliver his people from his their sins. Talk about a child that you would have taken care of. But every righteous man who has been put another human being in their charge, whether it be a child or a wife or anybody, that they would care for them, even though they're not their own. Right? Your wife, your husband, your neighbor, your children, they're not yours anyway. Even if they are blood relations, they're not yours. They're created by God. You didn't make them. And therefore, the righteous person takes care of others. Joseph took care of Mary. I'm sure he took care of Jesus. So, Matthew's readers, when they read about this, well this what seems like adultery on the surface, and you're telling me it's by the Holy Spirit. He's writing to unbelievers. He wants to convince the Jews to believe in Christ. They're going to feel mighty uncomfortable reading this. You know, should Joseph have divorced Mary? He had the right to, even with her claim, to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. He had the right under the Mosaic Law, which comes from God. He had the right to divorce her. But he will not. This child that now Joseph gets to take care of is identified by Matthew and to him as Emmanuel. That name they know. It's only in Isaiah, it's not anywhere else in the Bible, but Isaiah. Emmanuel means God with us. So we come to know. In our own life. Now, you know, none of us are going to have such things happen to us. Certainly not another virgin birth. That's not going to happen. You didn't need me to tell you that. But, you know, things are going to happen in our, every one of our lives that are going to be perplexing. Or, you know, even if we have an idea of what they are, we still have to be righteous in them. And I think if we love our Lord and we love his word, we want to be righteous in them. Everything we do, everyone we deal with, everything that is in our care, that God has put in our care. So, Joseph gets a message from an angel in a dream. It's likely Gabriel, the one who came to Mary. An archangel comes to him in his dream and tells him what's up. Now, you and I ain't going to get that either. I doubt it. Some people still believe in dreams and visions. It's usually Pentecostals, but I do not. I don't think you do either. Uh, So where are we going to get our miraculous message? You know the answer to that. Right in your word. Right in God's word. It's there. And you and I have got to read it. We've got to dig it out like Jesus described the kingdom of God as a treasure, right? And that treasure, someone knew how valuable that treasure was, sold all that he had and bought the field where that treasure was. Now, we've got to see the word of God as a treasure. It's Actually, that's the very interpretation of the word thesaurus. Thesaurus is a treasure of words. That's the Greek word for treasure. When the magi come to Jesus, they're going to open up their thesaurus, And it's not a book of words gold and frankincense and myrrh, but we look into the Word of God, and as we look into that Word, we see, and we have to to know it in the depth of it, it as deep as we can go, knowing exactly what is in places like Job. If anything is confusing, rather than flip the page quick or try not to think of it, know that in that is a deeper truth. That's, that's a place where X marks the spot there. Start digging. Don't be afraid that it's confusing. Dig. Because the answer is there. God always provides the answer. So as righteous, we've got to be courageous. That's what a righteous man is. Righteous woman. Absolutely courageous. Uh, no matter how comfortable painful, whatever loss whatever others say or think the righteous man is the courage to do the will of God because why? well because Christ is righteous it's honorable and good to be righteous. it's just the right call. we fear the Lord not people and so are we? are we upright? here's some promises we'll close with these Psalm 710. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. David, and in that psalm, he's going through incredible suffering, like in many of his psalms. My shield is with God, not with the opinions of people, not with a comfortable life. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. Proverbs 2, 7, and 8 has a lot to say with the word upright. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He being God here. Stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Guarding the paths of justice and he preserves the way of his godly ones. I, I can't. If I'm upright and godly like Joseph, even though it's scary or people are going to mock me for it or my flesh is going to fight me on it, I know that this is the path that is... Uh, justice and integrity and godly. You can't go wrong with it at all. And neither did Joseph. You know, we wouldn't know anything about him if he didn't make that call. One decision, as it says in this passage, that he thought about it. should I, Should I report her? Or should I send her away secretly? What should I do? He thought about it. He contemplated it. And he said to himself, well... I could protect my own reputation and report her publicly to the synagogue or just send her away secretly. And he chose the latter. And because of that decision, he's on the pages of Scripture. Yeah. Same with us. I mean, not that you're going to be in the pages of Scripture. You already missed that chance. But, uh, yeah, no, but on the pages of, of the history of heaven, you know, there's, there's a history here of the righteous deeds of the saints written in God's book. It's very important for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. And thank you for this um, very brief history of a great man. And he's great because you made him great. He's great because he put faith in you who are great. And therefore, we, all of us, can be righteous in our lives and our thinking by putting our faith and our obedience in you. May we all be convinced of how important that is. More and more so as we live day to day. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.